Uh, don't do that, any of that. What a mess. Put your, your wife in a timeout. Um, let me know how that goes if you do that one. Um, and Martin, I was wondering why you were scoring so many points and why you were hunched over that club so far. We were all kind of making fun of him behind his back, but nobody wanted to tell him. Um, hey, if you see people going around with some cameras, we are. We're trying to step some things up with the, uh, the website and just getting some more media, getting some more content that we can use. So if you see a camera over on the side, don't look at it, okay? Just like smile real big, pretend like you're having the best time here at church, all right, while they're taking your picture. Um, if they want you to smile, they'll definitely they'll say, hey, look at us. But um, yeah, we're pretty excited about a number of things going on here um, at Neo. We're excited to roll out our new website here in a few weeks. Uh, I think you'll be excited as well to see it. And uh, the functionality will be amazing with the app as well, so... All right, we are in a new series, and uh, it's, it's February, so let's talk about relationships. Why not? You know, um, it's, Hopefully you had a great uh, Valentine's Day. Hopefully, men, you did something great, did something good. Um, we are not just going to talk about marriage, all right? I want you to know that. This relationship series is like kind of you can take a lot of these principles, and you can apply them to friendships, to family. You can apply them kind of across the board. Uh, we will talk, of course, about marriage, husbands and wives, dating, singlehood, all that kind of stuff. But understand this is something that definitely can apply to more than just this. So when you think of the word love, it's kind of a loaded word. Uh, when you think of the word love, it means a number of different things within the U.S. culture. We've talked about this love word before. Other languages, right? It does love a lot more justice than, of course, the English language because we've said this. You can love God. You can love your wife, your husband. You can love your friends, right? The platonic relationship type love. Or you can love your cat, which is weird, maybe dog, okay, dog better, all right, just kidding, <laughs> you can love your dog, you can also love tacos and cupcakes and all that, right, I mean, this word love is very, very strange, most of the time here within the U.S., if you take only your cues, if you've never understood this, this love thing ever, and if you just turned on the television, and you jumped into our culture, what would love look like? It would look like what? The Bachelor, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would look like The Bachelor, right, a group of people all come into one room, and then a hunky guy comes in and everyone falls in love with that guy because that's reality, right? No, I mean, it's so strange when you really look at our culture, love really is equated with emotion way more than what love really is because here in our culture, it is so easy to fall in love, isn't it? Oh, it's so easy to fall in love. Think back to your very first date. Go ahead, think back, get nervous, right? Your palms are a little sweaty, right? You're like, oh man, those were the... When I got married, I was so excited I got married because I'm like, I never have to go on another first date ever again, right? <laughs> None of that ever again. I don't have to stress about any of that stuff ever again. You know, think about that first date. What was, why was that such torture, right? Think back, maybe you were, it was a dance, right? You bought one of those giant corsages, you know, for your... And maybe you... you rented a limo. I don't know. Maybe you went all out. Maybe it was just a simple date to the movie theater. I don't know what it was for you, but there was a lot going on inside, right? I mean, there was a lot of emotion. I mean, you may have been in your, you know, 18, 19, 20s. Maybe you were younger, but that's what we get to, right? And that's what we think initially. And that's what our culture says that what? To fall in love, right? Because you, you hear junior hires saying this to each other, oh, I love you. you know, you're like, you don't even know what love is. You know, like, come on, that, that ain't love. And you try to explain, right, someone that's been married for a while, 20, 30, 40 years, you start explaining. It's like, it's easy to fall in love. It's really hard to love the same person for a long period of time. Am I right? Right? Why? Because they're not perfect, right? And they're not someone that's God, so it's very difficult because they're human and they're not exactly like us. And we get this love thing really, really mixed up in our head. And so as we look through this series, we're going to try to unpack this. 
And understand, it's like over and over and over and over, you will be pushed this, this idea that what? Love is simply an emotion. And love is those feelings. And when those feelings leave, I'm sorry, you're just not in love anymore. And then you realize love is not that at all. You realize love is action. You read 1 Corinthians 13, go to any good wedding, right? They're going to open up the Bible, right? And they're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and you realize love is patient. That doesn't sound like an emotion, right? That sounds like something I have to work at because I'm not naturally patient, so I need to like actually do that. So you're telling me I have to work at this thing called love? Yes, 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 we do. Yes, we do. But everybody says, everybody says what? That love is about you, right? And your needs and your wants and your desires. You take somebody, and I know people, everybody in this room, you can bring one couple after another couple after another couple up here, and they can sit there and tell you about their story. And let me tell you something. It's not so happily ever after, right? Because that's what we want, right? That's the garbage we've been fed since we were a very young kid, right? That, you know what, someday you will find your person, I know I'm negative. I'm sorry, but this is real stuff, right? This is real life, right? You're going to find your person, and guess what? It's going to be roses and unicorns, and, and it's going to be amazing, and it'll be happily, happily ever after, and it's going to be beautiful. And 50% of marriages do not work out. Ugh. And you're never promised ever anywhere in Scripture happily ever after. Do you realize this? Do we realize this? We're never promised this. Happily ever after, it should say happily ever after, right? It says, start a relationship with Jesus. He will be there for you. He should be your number one. This is what it says. Someday you will be with him for eternity. It'll be you and him. This is amazing. And guess what? All the relationships that we have on this earth, man, they're bonuses. They're great. But understand our culture and people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ try to take people and put it in that God-shaped hole inside of our heart. The last series that we just did, it was on money, right, finances? And we said the reason why we had to talk about that for three weeks was because that was the number one thing that Jesus spoke about. And Jesus said the one thing that can grab your heart the, the tightest and struggle the most is this thing called our finances and our stuff. Relationships, man, they are a close second because so many people, especially in our culture today, try to take people and put it in the place of God. And God's going, man, you guys are getting it all wrong. And parents, what do we do? We try to tell our kids, if you don't have a date by the time you're in eighth grade, there's something wrong with you, honey. You should be attractive. You should be trying to find other people to go out with. Don't you like somebody? Right? We, we start from a very young age trying to push them to this idea that they need somebody else to complete them. And you start reading through Scripture, and you start realizing people like Paul, who was single, was able to get a lot done for Jesus because he did not have a family and a significant other to take care of. You're like, well, that's kind of weird. That's kind of mean. God does not promise every single person on this planet their person. And so many people are like, oh, I just got to find my person. <laughs> I love that phrase. It's true. I, wanna, I mean, we all want to find our ride or die, right? The person that we connect with, the person that we can laugh with, the person that we can grow old with. You know, I, I think of the, the Disney movie Up, you know, and that's the beginning. It's so, man, I don't know if you've seen that before. It's the balloons, right? And they, the house, and it goes up. And, you know, the beginning of it's like this, this little montage, this little history of him and his wife. And then, of course, she passes away. And it's like, oh, it just breaks my heart. You know, it's like, man, we all want to find that person that we can absolutely. And God wants that for us. But understand, we are not promised any of that. And so many of us, even if we find someone that we connect with, what do we do? We try to take them and put them as number one, and we try to put them as the person that's going to fulfill us and make all of our dreams come true and make us have our happily ever after. And God's going, oh, man, you screwed it up, right? Because that's not what we see in Scripture. It's not what we see. So as we look through this in this series, this is going to be a good series, and it's going to be an amazing thing, and we're going to try to like backpedal a little bit. 
right? Because every little girl at like age 14, what, they get this idea of what, what their wedding is going to be like, you know? And, and they go to weddings, maybe they've been in weddings, maybe they threw the rose petals out, and maybe they're a part of that. And they're dreaming, and they're dreaming, and they're dreaming, and they're dreaming, and they're thinking of what it's going to be like, and they're so excited, but what? 50% don't make it. You've just planned out this amazing wedding for it's not even going to work, honey. I'm sorry, right? That's the reality. And we're like, why, why are we okay with this? Why is the Christian culture, the church, why is the church okay with that? Godly marriages should look different. There should, there should be a difference. There should be a difference. At the end of the day, we should look back and go, there's something about that couple. They're doing something. Something's different about the way they treat each other, the way their family operates. There's something different about them. We should be able to step back and see that. But too often, what? We just blend in with the rest of culture. Right? And I just don't feel it anymore. I, I, just don't feel like, I just don't feel like I'm in love anymore. What? Go to marriage. Oh, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. It's tough. I'm going to be honest with you. There's so many times I just want to be like, you know, like, wake up, man. Like, get a hold of yourself. Do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? Like, seriously? Like, it, it's true because it's, I've heard that over and over. I, I just fell out of love. How do you fall out of love? Like, you just decide to stop being, you know, loving and patient and kind and all these things that we see in 1 Corinthians. We got to back up. We got to back up, right? Because our perspective, the church's perspective of marriage is mirroring more of our culture's perspective than what God intended. So therefore, we have to take a look at this, right? We have to take a look at this. So today, we're going to look at this passage, and it's an interesting passage. And so many times you go into, you go into, the, you go into Scripture, and it's amazing because if this was just written by one person and they were trying to fool us that it was really written by God, which it was written by 40 different people over 1,500 years on three continents, there's something to this, right? It's amazing that all these examples of families throughout the Bible, man, they're messed up, right? There's, we can learn so much of what not to do, right, by actually looking at some of these stories that we see in Scripture. So we're going to look at a real messed up one. We're going to go all the way back. Nothing like starting this series out good, right? Let's look at a messed up family, right? Kind of remind you of your family, all right? So no, we're all in good company. We, we got messed up families, no way around it. So here we, we, here we have it. We're going to go back to Genesis. So if you open up Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see this beautiful account of God creating everything. I'm sorry, the world was created by God. It was created by God. End of story, right? I'm sorry, but you cannot convince me. I have thought this through six ways, sideways. I, there's no way you can convince me that some two atoms came together and blew up and formed gases, and then here we are. No way. There's no chance. There's no chance. Where are the atoms come? I could go a long time into that. Look at this beautiful account of God creating, right? Because it's beautiful. I mean, have you ever seen an artist at work? I mean, God, I could just imagine him like, you know, because he has to do his arms. I don't know how he did it, you know, but he, he speaks and it just happens. But he creates, right? He just creates and creates and creates and he creates. The pinnacle of his, his creation was what? The first two human beings, right? Because we are separate. We are unique. We are different than the rest of creation. And that was the pinnacle. And he creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve have this interesting Interesting relationship. And we're not going to look at them, but boy, we can pull all kinds of stuff out of their relationship, right? There was a lot of finger pointing, and he said, she said, and all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, their life changed quite harshly. A lot of us in this room, our lives have changed. It wasn't exactly the way we saw it coming, but here we are today, and now we got to figure it out, right? That's Adam and Eve, you know? And then they had, of course, kids, and you keep moving forward, and you see the earth just becoming violent and destructive, and God's like, you know, I need a restart. And of course, you see Noah with the flood, and then you see the Tower of Babel. Okay, then we get to Genesis 12 with Abraham. Good patriarch of the Old Testament, right? He screwed up, right? Did a lot of great things. God promised him some stuff, but he ends up finally having a kid, Isaac. 
Isaac has trouble. He finally has a son as well. His name was Jacob. And then, of course, he has two of them, which was Esau as well. That's the, that's the family we're going to look at real quick today. And then we're going to kind of try to pull some things out and how we can apply to our, our relationships, our marriages, and further. So this is kind of what's going on. So here's Jacob. He does not get along with his brother really at all. They're polar opposites. I'm not sure if you have a brother or a sister that you were just completely opposite. These two are polar opposites. But here's the problem. This was an issue is that what Jacob, he found favor with his mom. His brother Esau found favor with his dad, right? Jacob never connected with his dad. I'm going to tell you something. You need to connect with your sons. I don't care if your son is a lot different than you. You need to put your arm around your son, hug him tight, pray with him, pray over him. My goodness, kiss the top of his forehead. Do whatever you need to do, right, to show him. So many of us men, what do we do? We look at our kids. We look at our sons especially. We look at them. You're going to be a tough, you're going to be a little tough dude. You're not going to cry. You're not going to show emotion, right? And then we never, there's no physical touch, no physical affection at all. And what happens? They turn out to be these real hard Understand, the more that we can be a great loving father to our sons, guess what? It's so much easier for our sons to start looking at the true heavenly father. And our daughters, oh my goodness, we need constant affirmation, constant affirmation. Guess what? They will look at you sideways and it's like they're not believing you. But if you're not telling them that they're beautiful and that they're created by God, who is going to? That eighth grade boy that they're like, give me a break, no way right? Over and over and over and over. And we have to come up. Men, you've got to go up. You've got to put your arm around your daughter. You've got to make sure that you are telling them over and over. Mom's the exact same thing, right? We have to. And we look at this story and we go back to the story and we see there were issues and you see that there was this rift within the family, right? One son was connected with mom and one son was connected with dad. And then one son did something just ridiculous to the other son to the point where his brother wanted to kill him. His mom looks at him and says, you need to go. Doesn't connect with dads, not really feeling the love. His brother wants to kill him. And now the one person that he's really connected to says, you got to leave home, man. You can't be here. You can't stay here. You talk about empty. You talk about running. You talk about not feeling connected. I mean, this is where he's at. So Jacob runs, and I'm telling you, this is no spot. This is no time to find love. But what does Jacob do? He uses this moment in time in his life where he's the emptiest, right, without love, and that's when he's searching. It's kind of like going to the grocery store when you're really, really hungry. They say, don't do it, right? Don't do it. What happens? You fill your cart up with way more than you ever wanted, and of course, it's all sugar, right? You get home, and you're like, how did I spend that much money, right? It's the same thing when you're, when you're, when you're at a spot where you are empty and people are not, that's not the point in time when you should be looking to find somebody else because nine times out of 10, all you're looking for is someone to fill that gap. And that's typically not when God comes in and moves in and does what he can only do. And that's, of course, what he did. He shows up to this town and he's hanging out with these shepherds and then there's this girl that walks by and he's looking at her, her name's Rachel, and he's looking at her like, oh my goodness, right? That infatuation, that physical attraction, just wanting to just be a part of that girl's life. I mean, he was all in. I mean, he didn't even talk to her, didn't even talk to her. And he's like, man, some of you have that story. (laughs) Some of you have that story. That was your story. You're like, I saw her across the room. Hopefully not the bar, right? I saw her across the room. I saw her across the library, right? Back in college. That's what it was. Yeah, you met when you were studying. Sure, right? (laughs) Hopefully. You think about this. This was, that's what was going on here. Total Total, total infatuation. He doesn't know her personality, doesn't know her family, doesn't know anything, right? He just sees her and is like, man, I got to have that. And so this is kind of where the story begins. This is uh, Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. 
Now Laban, that was father-in-law, or soon to be father-in-law, um, had two daughters, so older and a younger. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now listen to their description, because this is very important. Verse 17, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So apparently one was curvy and had good eyes, 20-20 vision. The other one couldn't see, right? It was just bumping into everything because she had some poor eyes. That's a very sad way to be able to be described, but that's the way they, of course, were described. So here is a little sibling rivalry as well, right? The younger daughter was the one that everybody paid attention to. The older daughter was just kind of like, oh, just there. Laban had a problem back then. Polygamy was something that happened. You married, you know, a number of people. That's just kind of the way it happened. And Laban's thinking to himself, man, I need to figure this one out, right? I need to, I need to figure out what's going on with my older daughter. Oh, well, Rachel's beautiful. Leah, ah, you know, and so he's trying to figure this thing out. And of course, it's not, uh, he's not figuring out the way he should. So often, what do we do when we get in these situations, when we get in these point in times, when we're really desperate, when we're empty, and we find somebody? We typically settle. We typically settle. You know, if we're not having good conversations with people before we start dating them or even go to get married, what happens? We don't, we don't really go into that spiritual, that spiritual side of the conversation. Oh, yeah, fine. He works out. Great. That's wonderful. You know, great. He's smart. That's, that's wonderful. Great. She has a good sense of humor, but does she love Jesus? Does she love Jesus? Does, does he go to church? Is it obvious? Oh, yeah, he goes to church when? Oh, Easter, <laughs> Christmas. Does he, does he, so God's really not like front and center then? Hear me on this. Hear me on this. If someone's not drawing you closer to God, you have no business pursuing them. Right? Be friends, fine. Be friends. You know, do whatever you need to do, of course, on that side, but you should not be pursuing them. Because understand this, every single person will be influenced and you will influence people. Every single one of us. We have people on this side that we are influencing. There's this person, this person. You might not even know if you're influencing them, but you are. And then there's other people that are influencing you. You cannot bring a significant other, someone in marriage, into your life without being influenced. And I know, ladies, you're always thinking in the back of your head, I will change him, I will change him, I will change him. And guess what? We are stubborn, right? We're stubborn. And if we didn't go to church before we got married, man, it's going to take an act of Jesus, which can happen, but understand, save yourself some heartache. Make him change. Make him make it. Let's see it on this end. Let's see the Lord work before you get tied to him. Because guess what? If he's not taking you to the Lord, he's taking you away from the Lord. And this is, of course, the problem that we see in the story. He goes on and says this. This is verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Man, I'll do this. So many of us think, what, that marriage is the answer, right? We think marriage is the answer. Marriage is the key to my happily ever after. Marriage is the piece to the puzzle that I'm missing because I feel this thing inside of me and it's not getting filled up. I'm not married. It must be the thing. Let me go get somebody. Let me figure it out. What happens? We start settling, right? What happens if you settle, right? And the person that you marry, he has everything. He has a career. He wants everything five kids just like you do or whatever it is. He has all these things, but that spiritual side isn't there. When it comes time for your kid and he needs prayed over, what's he going to do? He's going to go and just bat his beautiful blue eyes at him. And No, right? You need him to go be spirit. You need him to go and hold him up to the Lord. What do we do? We settle, we settle, we settle. We think marriage is the issue. We think marriage is the, marriage is the thing that can solve everything. And of course, that is not the case. Jacob here was in love, right? He wanted, he wanted Rachel so, so badly. He goes on and says this in verse 19. Laban said, 
His response. This is response. This is not the response that you would probably want. Remember the time that you had to go ask father-in-law for your for his daughter's hand in marriage. I still remember the time that I did. It was very scary. It was. Uh, I was a sweaty mess. I was one of those moments in time where I will always remember. I was sitting on the the couch. He was sitting on the chair, and I was looking at him. Nobody else was there because I planned it out perfect. I made sure everybody was there. And I go in and I talk to him, and I'm just like sweating bullets, and I'm looking at him. And it, I kid you not, his response was this are you sure? <laughs> I was like, ah, uh, I wouldn't be a sweaty mess if I wasn't sure, right? Planned it all out. Here's this response. You ready for this response from father-in-law? He's like, I want your daughter's hand in marriage. And this is what Laban says. He says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. <laughs> you'll, you'll do, I guess, right? Oh, what a, that's, a rough, that's a rough response from father-in-law. I mean, that's not the way you want to start it out. That's not the way you want to begin a marriage. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? The average time was actually only two years. You talk about it, man, he came in hot. He came in with seven years. Like he didn't even realize the customs at the time. He comes in with seven years. Laban's like, Sounds good. Usually there's a negotiation. Laban's like, nope, sounds, sounds great. This culture is a little bit different than ours. Obviously, we don't work for our bride. You know, we don't trade cattle. We don't trade goats. We don't do any of that. It's a different time. But of course, he came in this way because his eyes, he was thinking something different. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. This is where it gets a little cringy. All right, I'm gonna be honest with you. All right, so he says this, verse 21, then Jacob said, because he worked that seven years, give me my wife, my time is complete, and I want to make love to her. Okay, easy, man. Easy. A little PG-13 there, of course. You think this through. It's like the first thing that we typically do if we look at marriage as being the answer to all of our hopes and dreams and everything that's wrong in our life. We will settle over and over and over. We will settle, right? Because we just want to get on that marriage train. He's the last train out, man. I, I need to get this. I need to be on this. So we start settling and we don't put our trust in God to actually bring the right person. The second thing we simply do is we become demanding, you know, you think through like how many couples, you know, and you look at them and you see one that's super, super demanding the other one. I don't know if you ever watch House Hunters. It's been like, it has like 18 seasons now. I think there's like 3,000 episodes of it. But I've seen a number of them and a couple of them, it's just, it's almost humorous because they're videotaping these couples and they're coming in and you can tell there's strife and there's conflict and there's issues. And I remember this one, the, the man ended up uh, moving the family like three states over and she was not happy. And she had a list of demands, and she was going to get her pool, and she was going to get her granite, and she was going to get her walk-in closet, and she was going to get that finished walkout basement. I mean, there were all these demands that came across. And you see this, and this is what happens so, so frequently. Guys, my goodness, when we get sick, do we not get demanding? We are kind of wimps, aren't we, a little bit? You know, like your wife just bore you like four children. You're like, oh, my back aches a little bit. Oh, right. I got the flu. I was using a women's golf club, right? Oh, man. Oh, my back, right? <laughs> we do, don't we? Don't we get like, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it's just the way we get, right? It's the way we get. And when those demands aren't met, what happens? We get frustrated. Why? Because you are supposed to fill me up. You're supposed to be everything for me. You're supposed to be the answer to all my problems. And God's stepping back over here going, I never made her to be the answer to all your problems. I never made him to fix everything. That's what God is for. But so often we take our spouse and we put him in God's spot, and that's not where our spouse should be. Right? Spouse, you go to number one. Right? And that's what we want to be. 
That's what Valentine's Day is all about, right? Valentine's Day is all about being number one. My nephew this last week, I was talking to him a little bit, and um, <laughs> it was kind of funny because he's, uh, he has a girlfriend. She's over uh, in college at Bowling Green. And I said, hey, what are, you guys doing for, what are you guys doing for Valentine's Day? And he's like, oh, you know, she's not coming back home. And then he gets a phone call. He's like, um, she's coming home, but I don't think we're doing anything. I'm like, oh, no, man. Like, no, you, that's the worst. Ever. Like, you still, you, if she's in town, she's getting home, you need to start figuring out. Then he gets a, a, a phone call about an hour later. Yeah, she just made expensive, like a, a reservation to an expensive restaurant. Now I have to put on a suit and tie. I'm like, dude, you need to go get chocolate. You need to go get, <laughs> you need to get flowers. You need to get a card. You need to dip whatever you can, and I don't care. You need to go do something. You know, and that's what, we're, that's what we want to feel like, right? We want to feel like we are put on a pedestal. We want to feel like we are loved and cared about. 100%, we all do. We're human beings. But understand when, when our demands don't match what we're getting, when our thoughts of marriage doesn't match up. I do pre-marriage counseling. Oh, my goodness. It's like you look at this couple and you're like, you do realize the way your mom operate isn't the way his mom operate, right? So the roles that you're bringing into the marriage and that you're thinking your wife will operate with, they're not even close, right? Like your family's going to look completely different than the way you grew up. Are you okay with this? You know, this is a red flag. I mean, this is a problem waiting to happen. Right? And then you start, you know, the, you can just see the motor starting to turn and just everything starting to. The, why? Because we're looking at that person, right? And they're just going to help me fulfill my destiny. They're going to help me just go forward. And of course, this is what Jacob went, wanted to do as well. So the third thing that you kind of see here is just a dissatisfaction. When all that happens, right, we start compromising, we start making demands. Dissatisfaction is literally right around the corner, dissatisfaction is right there waiting for us. And when you're dissatisfied in marriage, that's when things go horribly wrong, right? If you're dissatisfied when you're dating, it's easy, right? Let's just break this thing up. You know, we're good. But you're dissatisfied, truly 100% dissatisfied in marriage. And I talked to couples a ton that are like, oh, we just fell out of love. Ah, oh, you can't fall out of love, right? Why? Because that statement alone says that love is an emotion. That statement alone says that you've bought into our culture's idea of what love is. So you just don't fall out of love. What they did things to you in the past. Okay, let's work through that. All right, they don't do these things now. They used to do them then. Okay, they don't go to the gym anymore. Okay, let's work on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's this list of dissatisfaction over and over and over and over, and it leads to a point where 50% of our marriages don't survive. That is not okay. We got to get to a point where we understand that they are not the ones that are supposed to satisfy us. Um, it gets, we go on in verse 22. Like I said, this is where it really gets strange. All right, so that was strange. Where we left off in 21, it gets stranger. So Laban brought together all the people, the place, and gave a feast. So dad, father-in-law is like, yeah, let's celebrate, you know. Seven years he worked, let's give him my daughter. And of course, you kind of know what's going on here. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, should have been Rachel, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. What in the world? And he goes on, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Disappointment. What? There, I'm sorry, the only way you can explain this is alcohol. Stay away from it. It's stupid. It's ridiculous, right? How in the world does this happen? You look at this scenario, 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 whatever. If you look at this and you just step back, you're like, it had to be involved. That's why you just don't do it, right? Just stay away from it. That's, there you go. That's my point. All right. No person can meet all your needs. 
You look at poor Leah, and you look at this whole thing. You look at her side of it, because you're kind of like looking at different people's angles. Jacob, he was, yeah, he was that person that showed up. He was just empty. He had no love at all, and he just wanted to find someone, and he just got infatuated, and then he just, you know, bought in seven years of work, and now all of a sudden, he's in the middle of a giant mess. Well, you look at poor Leah, right? The girl that can't see very good. You look at her, right? And you start realizing her story, and her story is very sad, But it's kind of unique as we start kind of seeing this unpack. Listen to this, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. I love that. It's almost like he looked over that cloud and looked down, right? He looked over that cloud and was like, oh, man, Leah, right? He saw her, you know? It was like he he connected with her. He felt bad. And this is our God that we serve. And I don't understand why God does certain things, and someday we'll maybe be able to have a conversation with the Lord. I don't know. But most of the time, I really feel like we'll get to heaven and we'll just be like, God, I'm with you. I'm present with you. This is amazing. This is, this is enough. But as you look on this side of eternity, this side of heaven, what happens? We see people that are not able to have kids and your heart just breaks. You know, and he, he, he looked on this side and this is what goes on. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. God blesses in certain ways people, and of course others he doesn't. But understand when the blessings are withheld over here, other things that God allows and some of us in the room, all we want is marriage. All we want is to be able to find that person, that person to connect with. And God's like, you know what? I'm holding that off for now, but I do have, I do have this, this, and this that I need you to do, that I need. This will give you, this will fill you up because you're ministering to somebody else. You're doing something different. And so often all we can do is focus on that one thing that we think will fill us up, which is another person. And then you get married to them, and they don't put the cap on the toothpaste, and they never put the toilet paper roll on the right way, or at all, right? And they do all these things that drive you crazy. And you step back, and you go, oh my goodness. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Sure, listen to these sad words. These are sad words. I'm sorry, but they are. Surely my husband will love me now. Oh, doesn't that kind of make you cringe a little bit? don't you wish you could just take Leah and just, you know, like kind of shake her a little bit and be like, girl, wake up, wake up. He's never going to love you, girl. He's never going to love you. You know, can you imagine if you give yourself advice 10 years ago, what would it be? Maybe you've been in marriage for 20 or 30 years and you're just like, man, I got some advice. You come up here and testify, right? You come up here and tell your story and we'd all be crying, right? Don't you wish you could go back 10 years ago and say, hey, you know what? Life's going to get rough. It's going to get difficult. Just buckle up. It'll be okay. You'll make it through. It's not going to be the same when you get through. And you got to work extra hard when you get through the bumps. But you know what? It it, it still goes on. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your prize on God. Just keep looking straight forward. That's what most of us would tell our younger self. You look at Leah here. She has kid number one. She has kid number one. And what? Of course, she's looking, of course, for someone else to still give her fulfillment. And then we go on in verse 33, she conceived again. So the story is not over. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She named him Simeon. So here's baby number two, which is another boy. Boys in this culture were like prizes. I mean, that was just like, oh, this kid's going to take care of me when I get older. This is my retirement. This is everything, you know? And, you know, so it was just so much emphasis. So she's welling up inside. And you got to know as she's welling up inside and excited inside, guess what she's probably doing? And you know she's doing this. She's looking over at Rachel, 
the one that has a little bit better, you know, look to her or whatever. And she's looking at her that who is childless. And she's probably got that inside of her, right? And she's probably like, mm-hmm, yeah, all right. Look at me, I'm having all these kids. We do this all the time in our relationships, don't we? Some of us have best friends, right? We have best friends. And when something doesn't go quite right for them, what do we do? We kind of like almost grin inside because the jealousy is there because they've had so many blessings in their life. That's not okay. That's not okay. Heaven forbid you do that with your spouse. You know, verse 34, again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, listen to these words. This is son three, if we're counting, right? Son number three. Now at last, my husband will become attached to me. (laughs) Oh, man, right? Because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Well, Levi, well, that's intriguing. You know who Levi is? He is the father of the priestly line of Israel. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, like all the pastors in Israel, right, come from Leah, right? Rachel's supposed to be the blessed one, right? She's supposed to be the one that gets blessed because that's just the way it's supposed to work out. Meanwhile, Leah's like, she has this kid who is what? The father of the priestly line. And she's looking at this little baby boy. She does not have the love of her husband, but God has blessed her with this child that is going to what? Be the father of all these people that are going to lead people in the right way. You know, this is something you got to step back in verse 35. She conceived again, again. And this is where it gets good. You ready for this? This is where it gets good. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time. This is baby number four. Baby number four. This time, I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. This time, this is the time. Finally, this is when she wakes up. And we don't know how old. Maybe she was 40, maybe 45, maybe 38. I don't know. But she's a little bit older, right? She has baby number four. And then finally, she realized, my husband, it will never be the one that actually fulfills me. It dawns on her. <laughs> it has to dawn on us that people cannot be number one in our life. You've got to get to that point. And the younger you are and the, the quicker you can learn that, the better. Because some people are still 50 and 60 years old trying to get other people to fulfill them. And God's going, no, I am number one. Your wife is second. Your kids are third. Everybody else is fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth, whatever. Right? That's God number one. When you take a husband and a wife that's pursuing the Lord as number one, and it's truly number one, Oh, that's a, that's a marriage. That's a beautiful relationship. You take two friendships, right? You take two friendships, just two people, man. They're just good friends. They've always been friends. They look out for each other, right? It's the same thing. When they have God as number one, they're going to be looking out for each other. Man, that's, that's special. That's unique. And then it goes on. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Judah? Judah. You know what, who Judah is? If you were here for Christmas, you would, that would ring a bell, right? Not only did she get Levi, but she got Judah. They weren't the best dudes in the world, let's put it that way, right? They're probably little hellions, right? Run around, they did some crazy stuff, right? But understand, who were they? One was the priestly line. The other one was the line of the Messiah. Jesus Christ came through the line of Leah. Through all this garbage and mess and family just being ridiculous, here comes the Messiah, there were a lot of people at this time. There, was, there could have been all kinds of people at this time, but Leah. Leah gets it. That's unique. God looking over and going, okay, I'm going to go ahead and bless you. I'm going to go ahead and bless you. You want to know what's missing from this story? If you really step back from the story and look at it, you know, there's, <laughs> there's no prayer going on. 
There's no following God's will. There's no spiritual conversations. There's none of that. This is a one big mess, right? God's still working and God's still trying his best with a group of people, with a family, with a couple that just, it's a mess. That was encouraging to me when I look at this because I look at this story and I just go, you know what, we can learn so much from this thing and we can understand what not to do. And that's a lot of times what we see in our families as you grew up. A lot of you had broken families and families that were difficult growing up. And you're like, I learned everything what I should not do. Like, if I need to learn how to love my son, I'll just make sure I don't do it the way my dad loved me. And then at least I'll have a head start. I'm sorry you went through that. That is crazy and difficult, but some of us in this room did. Same thing with your mother right? Understand through all that mess, like what? God's still protecting. God's still pushing. God's still trying to direct. God's still trying to direct your family. You're like, you don't know where my marriage is at right now. You do not have a clue where we're at. We are so close to divorce, you don't even know. I I get it. But understand, God can still do miracles. God can still work through that. Why? Because God is number one, God is at the forefront, and if you just step back from your marriage just a little bit and just go, okay, you know what, I'm going to focus up here, I'm going to focus up here, I'm going to focus up here on the Lord, and then you know what, (laughs) start being the best godly woman you can be or the best godly man you can be, and then start to see what happens. People will start taking notes. So some action steps real quick, and I got one more passage, and then we'll be done. If you're married, man, be the best, (laughs) best number two that you can possibly be. Be the best Second to God that you can possibly be. Whatever you can do this week. I know it's not Valentine's Day. You just did some smooth stuff this last week. I know we all did, right? But if you can do some cool stuff this next week, I mean, figure it out. Be the best that you possibly can be, right? Do the best version of you. If you think your marriage is struggling, man, you know what? Counseling is not a bad problem, not a bad thing. Women convincing your man to go might be a little bit more difficult, right? But understand counseling is, not, is, is maybe a step that you need to take with your husband or with your wife. You know what, if you're single, be okay with being single. If you're not okay with being single, you should not be married. I'm going to be honest, and that might sound harsh, but if all you're trying to do is just fill your life up with a person, I'm sorry, but it will end in a train wreck. It is not what you want. There's a whole lot less heartache not going through all that, right? Well, at least I'm doing it with somebody. No, you don't want to, right? You want it to be the right person. When you put God as them, I've seen this over and over and over. Here's a challenge. Go six months. Try not to even look at a person. Try not to go on a date. Try, do three months if you can't do six. Try a period of time to say, you know what? During this time, I'm just going to focus on God. <gasps> but what if Mr. Wright comes through the door? <sighs> Guess what? Didn't surprise the Lord, right? And if it is Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, they're going to stick around because they're going to see, wait, there's something unique. There's something different about this one. Just be okay with that. If you're struggling, if your marriage is in a tough, plot, uh, tough place, I encourage you to do something about that. There was a passion that we ended on last, uh, last week, and it was pretty simple. You know, it was a bunch of guys getting together, and they were trying to trick Jesus. You know the passage. It was Matthew 22, and they were trying to get him kind of screwed up, and they basically asked him a question. They said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? And they had a lot of laws. I mean, they had a whole lot of laws. And he basically came back with a very simple response is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, right? Love God, number one. And then after that, it was what? Love other people in the same way. God, number one. God, number one. God, number one. God, number one. This is the command that he's trying to give. So as we try to navigate our culture, navigate all this world, and as we try to teach our kids, understand that 
our world is going to say love is emotion. Love is emotion. Love is emotion. God's going, no way, man. Love is action. Man, love your wife. Love your wife. Man, it's a verb. Do all those things in 1 Corinthians 13. We'll get into that at some point. But man, do all those things. Be patient with her. Be kind. Be all those things. Right? And then see what God does. Man, love God first and everybody else second. Let's not be worried about our person and be the person that is the one that God wants us to be. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.